We are in Hebrews chapter 12, and it's uh, nice to be able to turn to a new chapter. Uh, the author of Hebrews is going to begin uh, summing up what he talked about in chapter 11, about those that had gone before. And as we, as we read these verses, we can't lose track of what was said in chapter 11. There's a whole history of people that had faith, starting from the very beginning in Genesis, uh, in the Garden of Eden with, with Abel, why well, he wasn't in the Garden of Eden, but from the first family, going all the way up through the Maccabean Revolt, which was current history for the people of, of 63 AD. And as all these people had, they had faith, and Jesus Christ was the one who was leading them. He led them through the wilderness. Uh, he he was there with Moses. Moses saw Christ or understood Christ by faith. And so Christ has gone before them. And now Christ himself, as we're going to begin here, has now come into the world and has actually now ran the race himself. Abel did it and Moses did it and, and all the people, David and all those that are mentioned, uh, you know, just in passing, Samson and Gideon. But now Jesus himself has come and become a man and has lived a life of faith. And so we have many examples. And so just re- I'm going to begin in chapter 12, verse 1. And uh, we'll probably cover the first three verses today. I'm going to read down through verse 13. Uh, because it, this is, again, this is now uh, the, the admonition. This is the, the, the part that he's been teaching uh, giving examples, but now he's going to make it personal. This is where this is the things they're going to have to apply in 63 AD, which again, of course, would apply to us also. So here we go, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in the, in the NIV Bible, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's almost like adding Jesus to that list of all the people. Of all these, you look at Abraham and and Isaac and all the people that are mentioned there. Now, the one you want to follow is is Jesus who's also come. Uh, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Now we'll, we'll pick this up next week, but it's just kind of interesting to hear it again today uh, in light of the things that we're facing individually in our life, as a culture in life. And it's, it's, it's a harsh teaching. It's a teaching that people don't, I mean, you really can't wrap your mind around it unless you just read it right here and just accept the fact because we want fair we want justice in life if i invest this i get this back if i do good i get good back and there is a principle in reality that that is the way the world that's god's intention what you sow that's what you're going to reap but because we're living in a fallen world uh, where there is sin there is corruption there's there's deconstruction of god's reality in every generation because we're living in this place, sometimes it's not fair. Sometimes you do good and you're repaid with evil. Now, in all of that, we know that God is going to balance the scales. There's going to be rewards in eternity. And that's what, one of the things that they're not, they don't want to... He's not, he's not challenging them not to lose their salvation. 
and I can show you this as we go through he's telling them don't lose your reward I mean you're saved you're fo- you're following Christ and your obedience here is not a matter of of you you getting salvation your salvation is a gift it's by faith you have salvation now continue the race run the race mark you're in the race you're on the team but now run the race now you can quit the race you're still on the team i mean it's just you didn't bring home the trophy you didn't bring home the medal you didn't win anything you were just in the team photo we're in the team photo already now it's your turn to run your race make sure you succeed and there will be rewards for having won that race so in in these verses he's talking about is all your hardships all your struggles all your trials is these are disciplined from god in in the very sense that god has placed he's allowed it's not a mistake you're here in a fallen world in a fallen age living with your own sin nature it's like does why is this such it's a mess it's out of control i'm living in a fallen world with a sin nature what what it's got got, wait 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 god knows exactly where you're at you he's using this as discipline you're being trained this is not your life this is your temporal life but you're being prepared for eternity you're being prepared for glory so if it's fair or if it's not fair if you deserve it or if you don't deserve it let it be disciplined to control develop and overcome your sin nature to overcome the fallen world and start living like christ in this age so you can apply that to your life well, it's just not that person didn't treat me fair okay consider it discipline from god deal with it i mean this i mean it's like that now again i'm i'm preaching right here what i'm telling you i'm going to read now you've got to decide if that's what this says but it's really cutting out all the excuses well i've got an excuse right i understand that wasn't fair but now it's on you god is not training that person he's training you you are his athlete and he's going to use that situation the fallen world the economy the governmental situation your place at work all these things he's focused on his son preparing not his not jesus but you as a child of god of preparing you for his glory because all this that that person is going to be left behind your work your employee that's going to be left behind your government it's going to be left behind you are going to be taken out of this and put into his eternal kingdom so all these things he's not worried about protecting you from all of these things again again we're not making god cruel or uncaring but when something does happen that's not fair just consider it discipline face up the fact look to jesus abraham isaac moses uh all these people abel was was killed for his faith uh, all those examples of they went they were destitute and lived in caves it's like well that's not fair no it's not fair but god was training them for something bigger than living here successfully in this earth well here we go listen to this in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten that word of encouragement now he's telling him you you forgot this i can tell by your attitude you forgot this basic message you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons out of proverbs my son do not make light of the lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son well i thought he's going to punish the evil babylonians 
right, but also he's going to punish and discipline everyone that is indeed his son. Because yes, you're a son in the family, but there's room for improvement. Now that doesn't mean he's going to crush and destroy you. Uh, again, that would be what we'd say child abuse. When you're uh, crushing and destroying a child, that's child abuse. But to not make any changes in the child's development and just let them grow like a weed, that's also child abuse. I mean, just a, we don't want to make our, you're just you're fine the way you are. They just grow up as an infant, and now they're a 35-year-old infant. Well, that was an abusive situation because you didn't teach them anything. You didn't teach them self-control. You didn't teach them responsibility. You don't want to crush the child where they're, they're, there's nothing to them, but you don't want them to be like an infant in, as an adult. And so God right here, this is talking about disciplining those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. He's, he's going to be right there. He's not going to crush and destroy you, but he's not going to just abandon you and say, well, you're fine just the way you are, because you're not. None of us are. I mean, even, if you're, even if you're old, mature, and you've got your Christian life together, hmm, there's still room for improvement because you're far from Christ. So again, that, that, that very concept means every one of us is, is being disciplined, corrected, punished when needed, by God, not to crush us, not to destroy us, like he's going to eliminate, you know, uh, the, the, the Moabites will be eliminated from history. You're not going to be eliminated from history. You're going to live on into eternity. But we're going to have mature people in, mature, in, 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 in eternity. Okay. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. Again, hard to, we'll get into this more next week. I'm already preaching it. But it's, just, it's very encouraging if you can look at life this way. Hardship, I mean, if it's deserved or undeserved, if it's your fault or someone else's fault, whatever it is, it's discipline. It's making you rise above this age, this sin nature, and look for something bigger. It, it's pressing you on. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Well, a child that's abused by his father who just lets him go. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children. Meaning if God is not disciplining you, well, there's a reason he's not disciplining you. You're not his child. He's just letting you grow like a weed. You're, you're not my responsibility. You have rejected him. You've gone the way of the world. It's like, then you ask, why does this person get away with this? And why does this person get away with this? Because... They're not being disciplined. Oh, there's gonna, they're going to be judged. They're going to be sent into the lake of fire. There's going to be eternal damnation. But what about, they just seem like they get whatever they want. They just, it's like, because God's letting them grow like a weed because uh, he, he's using them to create situations maybe in his son's lives, in the lives of his children. Well, you've got to, here's, here's a person that's going to bring opposition into your life. Why is God not disciplining them? Ah, because they're not his child. But he will use them to put you in a situation where you're going to have to rise above the situation. I mean, that, that's, in a sense, what Nebuchadnezzar was used for. Nebuchadnezzar was brought in, wasn't God's child. He was a pagan. God even says in the back, that, exactly, they, they're lost. But I'm going to bring them in and use their, their wickedness to discipline you because you I care about. Them, I'll take care of them later. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Meaning we expect as a child to be corrected. 
How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers on earth disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Again, did they make a mistake? Yeah, see, as they thought best. I mean, they're human fathers doing the best they can, but they cared about you and they made the best decision. As a father myself, I look back, it's like, mm, yeah, I could have done I, I had a good intention. I wasn't trying to crush my children, but mm, maybe I went sometimes too far. Maybe I didn't respond at the right time. That, that's, but you're in that area. Now you've got the perfect father who's disciplining your spirit Uh, whatever he's doing, you know it's exactly right. Our fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline. Now you say, yeah, this is great. I'm so happy. It's like, well, not. yeah, I understand. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. You're going to want to say, well, uh, there are some teachings in the Bible that God would, and you're going to try and find your little you know, have your best life now verses, and, and God wants you rich and prosperous and healthy and powerful and in control of your life. Okay, yeah, there's times for that too because that can be a time of discipline, meaning you not only have to respond when you're under in a bad situation, you have to respond to God correctly when you're in a good situation. Remember the four quadrants of life. We talked about that from uh, Paul writing to the Philippians. I mean, sometimes you're in prosperity. Sometimes you're in poverty. Sometimes you're in prosperity because of you. Sometimes you're in prosperity because it's just the way it happened, meaning you didn't cause it. Sometimes you're in poverty because of you and your decision. Sometimes you're in poverty because you had no control over it. Sometimes it's active or passive. But you'll be in all four of those. And discipline takes place in all four. Sometimes you find yourself, oh, look, I got this blessing. Okay, let's watch and see what you do with it. I mean, you've got to handle it like a son. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. So again, we're still looking ahead. Your discipline, this is not the final result. This is preparing you for a harvest, and the harvest is going to be righteousness and peace for those who have, oh boy, look at this, for those who have been trained by it. Meaning not everyone, you know this, I know this as a teacher, I know this as a parent, not every time you discipline somebody, there, there you learn something. It's like, Sometimes you discipline, sometimes you correct, and they, can, they re- reject it. And it's like, okay, so you were not trained by that. We're going to have to go to another level. So this, again, it puts it back on the person. God is, your hardship right now is disciplining you. Now, are you learning from it, or are you kicking and rebelling and blaming and, and, and resisting the discipline? Uh, yeah. And I know I have. I mean, I know, I just asked Tony. Uh, and she's lived with me for many years. And so it's like there's times where we, we do it right. There's times where it takes us several weeks to get to the place where we finally accept the discipline. So, I mean, that's a, a great line. Uh, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, what happens to those that haven't been trained by it? Well, they go back to square run one. God doesn't give up on them. They're his son. They're going to go back. He's going to try another method. Point being, learn the first time. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And in that case, the lame are the believers who are caught up in the world and they can't respond to discipline. It's time for you to strengthen yourself and respond so you lame, crippled believer who are immature will not be lame or disabled, but rather you'll be healed, meaning mature, and you'll grow out of your, your, your infant state of or wherever you're at. So that's, that's where we're heading in this chapter. Let's go back to chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, 
we've got the notes here we can look at and break some things down. This is now the English Standard Version with the Greek interlinear and the Greek text right below it, the transliteration and the text. Uh, again, I'll just read the English Standard Version, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, again, looking back at the previous chapter of all the heroes of faith, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Several things there. So we're going to break this down. This may take a while to get through this. There's, this is loaded with key phrases. The first one being the word we. Uh, the author's not just talking about you guys all need to fix and figure this out. He's we. We all need to look back at what has gone before us and apply it to our own life. So he's putting, now he may be more mature than maybe some of his readers, but the idea there is he's still under that umbrella of He's still growing. He's still being disciplined. He's still got to look back. He can't take his eye off the prize. So that's the first thing. Uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, surrounded and witnesses. And I spelled wit- witnesses. This is probably something I should probably improve with my the modern technique of two. There's two what? Witnesses. No, but I spelled surround wrong, didn't I? There's it. See right here? That's, see, that's a combination of an O and a U. <laughs> see, that's an O and a U right there with a little dot on top of it. Okay. <laughs> if you just scribble, no one can judge you. Or just mumble. I mean, heck, you could lead a whole nation just mumbling. But uh, uh, it's like, let us, surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, uh, the... The witnesses, I got that point three, these witnesses, it would certainly seem like they're the, in the chapter before, they're chapter 11, the people that have gone before, that's what he's referring to, were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Um, and now the question comes up right here, you can see the word martyrion, where we get martyr from, uh, was one who could confirm and attest to the truth of a matter. So if you call someone to be a witness, they're going to testify to the truth. Now the ideal here are these witnesses, are they one in their lives, have they themselves been the witness to the truth? Meaning they've, they've lived their life and you can look back at them in history and they have testified to the truth and they're now examples for us. They, they've witnessed. Or are, is it current? Are they witnessing our lives? That cloud that's surrounding us, are they watching us and we're living uh, trying to impress them. The, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not giving you the answer here. These are just the ideas. Or uh, the witness could be, uh, we're surrounded by witnesses. It may not be chapter 11. It may be uh, that culture. You're surrounded by the people of that day. And you're living amongst them. And so those would be ideas. I've got this written down. Point A, 3A could be those Old Testament saints and etc. Some of them were in the, between the Old and New Testament who witness to the faith in their lives. That would be this right here. They've lived as witnesses. You're surrounded by these examples of those who have testified to the truth. Now it's your turn to testify to the truth. It's your turn to be a witness. In which case, they were a witness for you, written down in Scripture. Now you will be a witness for your culture. That would be you're now surrounded by those witnesses 
Now you are going to be a witness, testifying the truth, living to the truth for those that are surrounding you. Uh, so you're kind of caught in the middle, looking back and looking forward. I, I think you've got to go, well, let's go on, next point B. Could be those spectators witnessing the present generation of Christians, but this word is normally the, uh, for those who witness to the faith or provided witness to the event. So it leans towards, the meaning of the word leans towards them having testified to the faith and being an example for you. But right here, it would still put you in a position, not directly, kind of implicitly, that you are living as an example. 1 Timothy 6.12 is interesting and gives some insight into this. Uh, as far as this word being used, uh, Paul writing to t- uh, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Timothy, t- Paul's son to Timothy, at his point of conversion or at the time where he was baptized or, in a sense, ordained into the ministry, the witnesses that surrounded him may have been, and Paul talks about this other places, they involved uh, Paul laying hands on Timothy. It involved some kind of prophetic message that came. Maybe someone spoke a prophetic message over Timothy while they were laying hands on him. Uh, maybe at his baptism or his conversion. Maybe it was where he's being sent into some kind of an office. But it included witnesses that observed this. And so these would be people standing around looking at Timothy. He was surrounded by witnesses. So Timothy was surrounded by witnesses who heard the prophecy and saw what was going to take place in his life and now he's got to go off and live that life and fulfill it so anyway that's what witnesses refers to i think in the context we'll read it again since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside uh, every weight i think right there as you read this since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that's got i mean in in context we just talked about the witnesses those who testified to the faith they lived as witnesses to christ to the truth you're surrounded by that example let us also like they did lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely we'll talk about that also uh the word cloud is interesting that's point two the cloud of witnesses is nephos in the greek you can see it in the greek text there n-e-p-h-o-s it means cloud since we're surrounded by this cloud uh the greek playwriter Aristophanes used the concept of clouds as groups of people. In the classical world, a cloud of people was a picture or of a group of people who had unity in their witness. And so the use of the word cloud means a large group of people. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that they've gone into heaven, into the clouds. That's, that's not the idea. It's not, well, they're in heaven looking down. It's that they're this large mass of people that are watching an event or they are witnessing to an event or in a court case this large group of people have come together and all agreed this is what has happened it's it's a group just like there's a group of clouds you can have this in the singular and you've got one little cloud or you can have it in this form where you've got a mass of clouds now you've got this mass of clouds but the clouds are these people so it's just right here it's basically saying since we're surrounded by such a great group of witnesses uh, since those have gone before me basically you you go from genesis all the way through the old testaments through the prophets up through the maccabean time period up into the days of the early church potentially uh if you can throw john the baptist in there uh not early church but i mean of jesus the gospel being preached you've got this whole spectrum of people now it's your turn there's really no excuse and then if we throw jesus into that example which we're going to 
you can say you got your timeline you've got genesis you've got the exodus you've got the prophets you've got the maccabees well now you've got jesus who lived in their culture in their city in their time we're talking 33 years or so before them if you go back to 30 a.d when jesus was crucified and we're in 63 a.d here within that generation jesus himself jesus faced the same romans the same priesthood the same religious leaders the same conflicts the same philosoph- uh, yeah philosophical and political ideologies jesus faced them and was victorious and so you have no excuse now application they don't know what it's like because we're living in 2022 smartphones dumb phones whatever you've got it's like here we are they don't it's like okay they in 63 ad they could say well it's different now it's different now well different than what i mean it's like it's it's the same they they all made it you can make it now tony and i were talking about this it's interesting uh talking about uh our our children our own sons uh having faith and uh the thing is the word of god is consistent we'll just say word the truth and we were talking about now in not not we're not being judgmental but it's kind of like this is we we're from the 1960s okay and so that's when we started learning Bible stories and going to church. And we had, we had to apply it to this culture here. Now, the word is eternal. The truth doesn't change, nor does reality. So we learned, and through our lives, we've applied it to our, our life. Now, if I go back to uh, my fa- grandfather, came out of the, you know, let's just say that first, he was born in 1897, let's say 1900. Uh, he had the word, the truth, and he had to apply it to his culture, which included going to World War I, going through the Roaring Twenties, losing his farm in the Depression, going through all of this, coming into the 40s. Uh, seeing world war ii and trying to farm and live and take care of his family during world war ii after the depression and then sending his sons over to the korean war and then but i I show up in the 60s okay and uh he could look at me and say that's not what we did i mean I, i did a lot of things that i mean you know i had long hair i my clothes changed we listened to rock and roll music i i can't we back when i'd go out and spend time with him on the farm you know what we listen to every saturday night now some people do not know this they don't remember there's no way they can even understand it but many of you know what we did on saturday night who did we listen to everybody said lawrence welk we listened to lawrence welk, and that music comes right out of the 1920s and the 1930s and it was interesting to have some people dancing and people singing. I knew it was good, but it's kind of like, where's the rock and roll? I mean, why don't we play? I mean, this is good. But if we're going to spend time watching music, let's get some guitars and some guys with long hair and let's rock this place. And so I would, I appreciated watching it, but at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to this at home. And so there's, there's, there's this, the X was different. It's like he was listening to good godly music. 
He was listening to music out of the Roaring Twenties that led right into the Depression. Okay, in the 60s and 70s, I was listening to the classic rock and roll. It was the cutting edge music. Well, now that music is now classic. It's the classic rock and roll. That was back here. We were changing the world. We were the rebels. We were fighting against the machine or whatever. And now it's kind of like, it's what they pump into old people's homes. It's like, this is what you, when I, I, I figure when, when I'm on my deathbed and they got some music in the hallway of the nursing home or whatever, it'll probably be Fleetwood Mac, you know, or whatever. Uh, because the, you know, my point here, we both had the word, we both have the truth, we're both embracing it, trying to walk in it, but what's coming out, the, the culture where, and that's just an example, music was just an example, you can think of you know, politics, you know, the issues they faced. Now we're in 2022. The thing my grandpa could teach me is the word and the truth, but he really couldn't address this. I mean, it, I mean, uh, that, that now I've got to take, uh, in 1960, I've got to now take this, okay, because I can't go, okay, how was it like, Grandpa? I want to be Amish. I want to go back to the 1920s. It doesn't exist anymore. I've got to take my, my faith, the truth, the Word of God into the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. I've got to, well, now the same thing has happened to my kids. They're now, you know, right at 40 years old, down, you know, what, 28 to 40, you know, and they are living in, well, guess what, well, same culture we are. Uh, they're living in this culture here. And they've got to now, in their workplace, in, in their families, in the economy, in the, in the politics, in the philosophy, this hasn't changed. Hasn't changed since 63 AD. Hasn't changed since the Gospels. It hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. This is the same. But they're now going to have to now start applying this truth in their culture the music's changed the issues have changed i mean can you imagine my grandpa dealing with how do you apply the word and truth to people who think they're homosexual that's uh, really not an issue 1960s 1970s how do you apply this to people who think they're homosexual it's kind of like what that's not an issue well here what do you do if your pastor thinks he's homosexual it's like uh well okay i mean i know what i'm going to say there but i've never had to, i've never had to walk into a church and you know one of the pastors thinks they're transgender or home well first of all i'm walking out and i don't think that I don't, I don't think that's i'm not using that as an example of truth and reality but you could walk into a church you're not going to walk into a church in the 60s and have a professing homosexual in the pulpit today you can walk in and the whole choir's transgender. I don't know. I haven't been in church for so many years. But it's like you're going to face things. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to accept it, but they're having to deal with that. And, and that's just one issue. I mean, grab another issue. I mean, a- abortion in the 1900s, abortion in the 1960s, now 2022. Uh, marriage. marriage. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, there's just a variety. And so this hasn't changed but I've never had to, my grandpa never had to apply these truths in the 1980s. He did it in the 20s and the 30s. I had to do it in the 80s. I've never had to apply, and I'm living here at this time, so I am, but I've already, I'm not navigating my, I'm not navigating my way through certain issues. You see, when I see the issue coming, uh-huh, when you get here, I'll tell you what I already know. Here, I know it's coming, here it is, boom, 
I've already made my decision. Some people call that being stubborn, stuck in your ways, old-fashioned, uh, bullheaded, bigoted. I mean, there's a whole variety of words, but it's like I've already made my opinion. Uh, and again, there's room for air within there, but I'm not talking about me being wrong right here. <laughs> not going to bring that up right now. But uh, they're, they've got things coming, and, ha- and things that I could make in a, in, a, in a more calm setting where it's like, okay, I'll interpret this verse. That's what it means. I didn't have to like, oh my gosh, here this thing is coming full bore. Everybody's embracing it. What does the Bible say about it? What is truth? What is reality? I mean, they're forming truth and reality now and trying to apply it as these things are coming, just like they were in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. Well, just like they were 1900s, uh, World War I, the Depression, the Roaring Twenties. I mean, that, that's like, it was coming like a freight train. Well, now looking back, we, I can adjust that. I can adjust this, but here, this is coming. So my point for saying that is, we can teach this, but I don't know exactly what it's like to apply it into the, your culture. Now, I'm not saying, it's not, I'm not saying there, there's a, no absolutes, but sometimes there comes a point where you just have to kind of step back, and it's like, that's, that's not my decision. The, you're surrounded by a group of witnesses. You've got from Abel, Moses, all the way through the Maccabees, you've got the New, and we've got the entire New Testament. You've got my grandfather, you've got myself, you know, Tony, and others. But now here you are. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The only, what, I, what we can say is this chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is talking about you now. You're going to have to apply it right here to this culture. And uh, you're either right or wrong. But I, I, I'm not the one making that decision. And so, because we were talking about, you know, uh, there's a place and a time, as, as you know, where you, you stop parenting. I mean, we've, we've been there for a long time. And even as you watch your kids make decisions, it's kind of like, well, it's like, don't, don't judge them yet. They're still, they're trying to figure this out. They're, they're looking at a bigger, uh, uh, a horizon that we've never looked at. Now, we're not looking in a sense at the same horizon they're looking at, but we've already made our choices. We, we already know, ah, this is what I think of that. This is what I think of this. That's, I've got an opinion. Now, they're seeing these things. Okay, oh. And then especially when the whole culture is like, yeah, this is great. We're, we're, we're free, and we can make these decisions. Like, okay, what do you think? It's like, I, I know that's, that's wrong. That's, that's the world. That's the cosmos in rebellion towards reality. What do you think? well, I don't know, it kind of matches everything. It's like, right, it matches everything in your culture, correct, because your culture is corrupt. Now, how, how close are you going to get to? And pretty soon it's like, you, they're, you got this, they're, they're reading the culture, they're reading the word of God, they've got faith in Jesus Christ, but they also know what all their friends are. It's like, okay, and eventually the tension gets, and it's like, which side are they going to go with? It's like, that's not my decision. You, you, I, I, can't, and I can't even... I can teach the word of God, but I can't go to that. I can't go there and say, well, what do you think we should do? Because I'm not there. Like my grandpa can't come to the 60s. I can't go to the 2022s and make those decisions. If that makes sense, that's a little sloppy as an illustration. But it's like, it, it's, well, I mean, what I'm saying right here, I just made application of chapter 12, verse 1. You're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses. The author's telling the 63 readers, 63 AD readers, well, now I can apply it to my life. I'm surrounded by these but now I also look ahead to my children, and they're surrounded for, with, with me, 
my grandfather going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There's all here. We've all done it. Now it's your turn. Now we can't do it for you. We can watch. We can cheer. And again, I'm not even saying for sure. That's the one the question comes up. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, are, are these guys in heaven, are they watching us? I mean, are they observing our behavior? And I don't think, I don't think that's the point. I think, they are the, I think the context here, I think that's another question. I think the context here is they provided their, you're surrounded by an example of witnesses that have done it. Now it's your turn to make a witness. And we can see, especially in 1 Timothy, when you live your life, you are now adding your name to that list of witnesses for another generation or those that are still making decisions or living the Christian faith. So you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And when you make a decision, you're joining that cloud of witnesses for the next believers or those that are watching your life. Now, are they watching from heaven? You know, grandpa's watching me, zooming in. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how aware they are of here. And I don't think that verse is even, I don't think that verse can go there. And I know I've taught that before. They're, they're watching us. They're watching us from heaven. There may be some awareness, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Are angels watching us? Well, now we know angels are because says angels are looking into these things. They're watching us and they're learning from us. So if you want to want to think about if anybody's observing your lifestyle, it says very clearly, Peter says, even angels long to look into these things and the, the angels are learning, Paul says, from the church. The, the church is explaining these things. Uh, so there's, there's something to be said about that. Okay. Going back to this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Now, this is two words. Lay aside, meaning get rid of it. Two things. Weight and sin are the English words that translate the words from the Greek. And you've got those written down right here. Uh, this is, okay, the run effectively are two things we must do. Lay off the things that slow you down. Lay off the things that are sinful. And this is a general idea right here. The weight is going to slow you down. The sin are things that are wrong. These are rebellion. You are in rebellion towards God. The weight are not things that are wrong in a moral sense, but they're not part of your event. I think of track. If you're a shot putter, in a track event, there's certain things you bring along to the event. There's certain things you have, what you wear during your event. There's certain training you go through. Uh, if you're a sprinter, you're not going to train the same way or eat the same way a shot putter would train. So there is a difference. This will be talking about and a, a great line coming up. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And there is a general race, you know, you know, narrow is the path, uh, wide is the path to destruction. So we are running this race of faith. But I think each of us has a race set before us. Abraham's race was different than Moses' race, which was different than, you know, David's race. David was a king. Moses was a prophet. Abraham was the patriarch who was beginning the whole movement. And Abel was completely different than all of them. But they all were running the same path but they each had a different, or on the same team. And I, a great example for me, at least, is a track team. I mean, you've got hurdlers that are jumping over a bar, but they're not the pole vaulters or the high jumpers. They're running while they're jumping over the bar. 
uh, or the high jumper is doing it just one bar, but the pole vaulter is using a pole. Now, back when I first started coaching track, they don't have high school pole vault, but I did coach pole vault one of the last two years of pole vault. I had a, I had a pole vault. I was teaching kids how to pole vault. In fact, at my interview, my very first interview, for track at least, I had the coaching job. My first day says, uh, well, what are your strengths? And I said, well, you know, I, I ran distance in college. I think I you know, understand distance running. I do pretty good, know how to train that. I've done it myself. They said, what are your weaknesses? Well, I tell you, I tell you what. I says, if you've got a pole vaulter who's jumping 18 feet, you let me work with him for two weeks, I'll have him down to 14 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all laughed and gave me the job. Because he was like, what do you, I mean, how do you teach pole vaulting if you, you're a distance runner? It's like, I don't know. Which, and we didn't even have YouTube back then. It's like, I don't know, just good luck. <laughs> I got to work with those. <laughs> don't land on the pole. If you do land, land on the mats. That's all I can tell you. Uh, but anyway, the weights would be things that don't match your race. It doesn't mean everyone. This is where you've got to be careful becoming legalistic. Uh, there are, sin is wrong. We're talking about two categories right here. We'll look at the Greek words here. I want to do a better job with the Greek words here. These are two different categories. Sin is wrong for you and me. This is sin. The weights, like a shot putter, is going to want to put on a little extra weight. And he's going to do some lifting. He's going to be bulk up and he's going to you know, have upper body strength and leg strength. Uh, a sprinter is going to want to be as like, I know in college, uh, they wanted me to lose. I was already skinny. They wanted me to drop 10 pounds and get skinnier, uh, which would put me at 160. I was 170 in college. They wanted me to drop to 160. Then I went out for baseball. They wanted me to put on 10 or 15 pounds. So I went up to 180, 85 in cross country, down to one. I never made it to 160. But the idea there, that the shot putter, you want a little weight. The distance runner or the sprinter, you want to drop weight. So that weight, I can put that in parentheses. What is your weight? Uh, if you're called to be a Bible teacher, if you're called to whatever your gift is, uh, your, what God's, the race God's marked out for you. So these are things you're going to have to get. You don't have time for this. Moses could not be Moses and be the Pharaoh. You think he could. He could be the Pharaoh and then set the people free. Do you understand the political ramifications? You're not going to be able to, you won't be Pharaoh very long if you let the slaves go free. You can't be Pharaoh and then worship all these foreign gods as the Pharaoh needs to do all the rituals that are required of the Pharaoh, but also be wholeheartedly teaching about Yahweh and establishing the Ten Commandments and that there is only one God. Wait, wait, I got to go to the temple and worship all the other gods. So Moses had to walk away. Um, Daniel, he was faithful, but he could somehow function in Babylon. He was the wisest of the magicians or the wise men, uh, the leaders, the political advisors, and those who studied the stars. So somehow Daniel could manipulate, uh, work his way with all the knowledge of the Babylonians without having to say, sorry, he did say, I won't eat this, but yet he did become the leader of a group of people who weren't necessarily Yahweh worshipers. Think about a university professor. You're going to have to go work in a university in a woke culture and somehow, some people can't do that. It's like, can't do that. Some people can. They can, they can adjust. Not that they're, they're, none, they're not sinning, but some of them, that, that I can't do that. It's a weight I can't have. Where others, it's like, it's not a problem to go to the staff meeting. I mean, can you imagine, uh, think of, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of some of those guys 
Crowder or uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson. Again, he left his university, though, right? But, I mean, he went for years working. He, he's on that fence of becoming a Christian. I mean, he's right there, and the big question is, is Jordan Peterson a believer? And he's, he's, he's open to it. He's studied. He's taught Old Testament, but he's not necessarily a believer. But yet he's clearly in reality because the woke culture is, is definitely coming against him. But he w- did it for a while, but there come a time where Jordan Peterson, for example, and he, he's not a Christian example, but he had to throw off the weight of his university. I can't function. I can't do what I'm called to do in this university. There's too many restraints. In fact, let's go to the Word. That's the word. Let's watch these words. That's a very good example, especially coming to restraints. Um, hinders. Let us... I'm looking here for the Greek word here. I'm looking at the next page. Yeah. Uh, throw off means to lay aside from oneself, to lay aside one's clothing. Uh, so easily entangles. And that is the weights that so easily entangle. Let us run with it. Okay. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin. I'm still looking for these words. Lay effectively. Lay off. I'm, I don't see it. Okay, so easily entangles. Let's go to point eight. Point eight on page one. So easily entangles. The weights and the sin that's so easily entangled uh, is, it means easily avoided, admired, easily, sur- easily surrounding, besetting, ambushes, or in circles. It's something that is dangerous. The image of easily entangles may refer to the long robe that would be ridiculous to compete in. It, it, that's the idea there. But these are things that would cause you to trip up. If, if the weight is causing, sin is always going to cause you to be tripped up, to be entangled. There are some weights that, depending on what you're called to run, it's going to cause you, like for example, nothing wrong with a long robe, but if you're trying to perform, uh, perform in an athletic event in a long robe, that you can't have a long robe in that. And just, that would be an example. Um, and the athletes, when they would train in, in, in a, in the Greek world, as you know, they would compete naked. They would strip off everything, and they would compete. Uh, there's even, like, pottery, and it's got guys racing, and they're naked. I mean, fully naked. It's like, what, what is this? Some kind of porno race or something? And it's like, no. They're, they're li- this was a, they would strip off everything that could possibly slow them down, and they'd run the race. And it was their, it was their culture. I mean, we, we see it. I mean, you can go like a you know the athletic certain athletic events it's like the clothing becomes smaller and smaller it's like why well because they're trying to get faster and faster uh again some of its culture and modeling and stuff but uh it says hinders means yeah everything that hinders uh is bulk mass or weight an athlete would prepare f- for competition by losing weight and reducing body mass and the athlete would compete naked so they would not be restricted by clothes an athlete would train with extra weights or resistance which could would obviously not be used for competition and that would be something that uh this this weight uh when we've used those we used to i used to use those in college we don't i don't know so much anymore where you'd wear ankle weights. I don't know if you remember back in the day, we'd wear ankle weights, and it'd stretch your joints out, and you'd have knee problems. But we'd wear ankle weights in school. You'd walk around all day with ankle weights on, and then you'd take them off for the game. And that was the idea. So you're getting stronger. And they would do the same thing in the ancient world. Uh, and again, I don't, 
I don't think it was very effective because I don't hear much about it anymore. But this weight, you know, you'd, you'd train with the weights, but then during a, a, uh, the race, you'd take that weight off. And we are in the race, and so obviously you don't want those extra weights, those unnecessary burdens slowing you down, especially when you're looking towards eternity. Uh, what else we got on here? Page two, or yeah, page two. Race is... Oh, yeah, this is good. Let's go number, word, number nine, the word hupomone, run with uh, endurance or patience, refers to patient endurance, not passively giving up. So when it says run with, uh, let us run with endurance, that's a good translation, run with endurance. Some translations say let us run with patience. And that, that's a, a, an, an idea of translate word hupomone, but hupomone means you're going to endure. After everyone else has given up, you're still pressing on. So let us run with hupomone, patience or endurance, uh, not passively giving up. It doesn't mean just to get, well, I'll just sit here and passively let things happen. You're, you're still engaging in the race, competing uh, when you're tired and, and ready to give up. Uh, also, uh, the ideal of, of this running it's not a, even being used in uh, some of the Greek writings, it's not a sprint. This is not the image of a sprint. You're not, this is this discussion and the use of these words that they can see in other Greek writings. You're not doing a sprint, a hundred yard dash. It is a distance run. It is a long distance run, which gives you time to get tired, to wear out, to mentally it's kind of hard to mentally give up in a sprint. Now, I'm not a sprinter, so I'm not sure of all the emotions and the thoughts going on in a sprint, but I definitely have ran distance races all the way up to marathons, and uh, some fairly competitive when I was in college, some just as an old man trying to beat my goal time. My last race I ran last, what was it last? Was it this spring? We ran something this spring, St. Patrick's today. We ran turkey trot, 5K, and I remember... I trained for it, and I was excited to get out and run again, uh, you know, just to prove I'm still young. But after about the first mile, the last two miles, all I thought about is I don't need to be doing this. This is the last time I'm running a stupid race. I mean, I was excited about it. I trained for it, and then I spent most of the race thinking, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I'm never doing this again. And as soon as I got done, I was happy with my time. I started thinking about, well, I'm going to start. I think I can get this down. Next time, I'm going to run. I instantly got, forgot about not running and started making plans for my next race. That is the mental part of running distance races. And so within this idea here is you're running a distance race, and the endurance is going to be physical it's going to be mental it, you want to give up I, i'm not sure uh you know all about your personal life but i know there are oftentimes in my own christian life uh not giving up on christ but just this is i'm close enough i've got a ways to go to my finish line i don't know when my fit but it's like i'm i'm not planning on crossing the finish line this afternoon but i have thought i'm close enough I may just, not, not going to forsake Christ, but I'm close enough. I'll just, I'll just coast in from here. And this verse is telling you, don't, really, this, don't start coasting. This is no time to coast into the finish. And they are, they're, and they got persecuted. Now imagine, I'm just talking about just my life in general. Just imagine if there was persecution. It's like, I'll just hide out. I mean, the whole idea of, of hiding in a cave or in the wilderness somewhere, 
like we talked about last week, it's like, that sounds like a nice idea. I'll just disengage society and go live somewhere and no one will know where I'm at. Except for Facebook. I'm posting stuff on Facebook. They say, well, I know where you are. I know exactly what you're doing. You keep posting it. Okay. Yeah, right. So stop that. Um, the word race is agon, where we get our word agony from. It means to struggle, a contest, or a race. So the whole idea is this. Uh, Paul and the writer of Hebrews they very clearly describe the Christian life as, an, right here, an, an agon. Uh, it's, it's a struggle. It's a contest. It's a race. You are in competition, not against other people, but against the forces of good and evil, the forces of the sin nature and the new nature, the, against the forces of following God and following the culture. Who is God? Who is your Lord? You're going to follow the culture. You're going to follow Jesus Christ. And if you're going to follow Jesus Christ in this culture, you're going to have to have Bible teaching because the culture is teaching you right here. You can't just have this concept of God out here. If you just have this general concept of God or Jesus, I'm born again, that is going to morph right into your cultural image of Jesus Christ. And you're going to follow culture. I'm following Jesus. You're going to have to have Bible teaching. And the Bible teaching is going to separate God. This is God. This is truth. This is reality. This is Jesus Christ as identified in his word. This is culture. Oh, there's a difference. If you don't have Bible teaching, this is what's going to happen. It's going to just like, like an eclipse. It's going to come together pretty soon. Culture is going to just cover up Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I, I'm following Jesus because everybody agrees with this. It's like, no, you don't follow what everybody else agrees with. You follow what the Word of God says. Now, there may be people that agree with what the Word of God says. That's a group you want to follow. But that is one of the struggles you're going to find yourself in. Uh, point 11, marked out for us, the phrase is from that f- word right there, looks like uh, prokimenon, which means to lie before. It lies before you, the, the race lying before you. Uh, the Christian contest has been laid out for us. We now must prepare to win it. And 1 Corinthians 9.24 sums this up. This is Paul writing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? 1 Corinthians 9.24. But only one gets the prize. That's in a a carnal, temporary race. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Now, he goes, talks about there, he talks about training. He also talks about rules. It's not, I, I, you can see I left some parts of that out. He talks about rules. You follow the rules. You train, you follow the rules. Uh, and uh, aimlessly, uh, you have a goal and, and uh, a target. He uses this as beating the air. He uses this as aimlessly. No rules. No training. That would be the opposite. In other words, if you get born again, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are born again, you're in the family of God, you're a son of God. God is going to discipline you. There's going to be training. You're going to have to go through training. There's going to be rules for you to live by. Not, not, not legalistic rules, but there are some things that we're doing and things that we're not doing. You've got a clear goal. He's going to make it clear right here. Jesus Christ. We're going to keep our eye on Jesus. You've got a target. These are the goals. The opposite would be, Paul says, he says, I don't live my life like a man bo- boxing. Boxing, they do that in the Greek competitions. Boxing the air. Just... You're swinging and be like swinging and, and missing the target. 
Okay, you're not really boxing. You're, you're in the ring, but you're missing. You're, you're not even scoring points. You're, or if you're, no, if you're not in the ring, you're just boxing there. You're shadow boxing. That's not the competition. You, you've got to have an opponent. Go, go on there and meet your opponent aimlessly. I use this as an example of, of uh, before, of being, uh, taking, taking someone to a track meet. And uh, everybody, we're going to run. We're gonna, everybody's going to run today. Everybody's in an event. You li- give your, all of your events. Everybody's here. And then you look at your team. And they've all started running, and they're out running around the parking lot. They're running down the road. They're, they're running over to the concession stand. It's like, guys, that's not even an event. Well, we're running. We've been running all day. We ran the whole time. Yeah, but we've got to run on the track. You, you've got to follow the rules. You don't create your own event. You've got to find, and here, you've got to find in the Word of God, what are the rules? Well, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to do this. It's like... That's not, even, that's, not even in the, that's not even in the events. That, that's, you've made up your own. Or you're at the concession stand. I ran to the concession stand. Or training. It, you can become a Christian. You're a Christian. You're born again. Congratulations. You have eternal life. These things are going to determine if you get the reward. You are in the team picture. You went to the track meet. You, got off, you rode the bus. You got off the bus. But did you train for the event? Do you know what the event is? Are you following the rules? Well, everybody ran that way. I'm going to run this way. The rules say we're running this way. You've got to be in the game and have the goal and the target. These have to be identified. If you have no training, you aren't following any rules. Here would be an example. You don't know the Bible. I'm a Christian. Tell me about the Bible. Well, I don't want to get all legalistic about it. I just, I just follow the Spirit of Christ. What's, how do you identify the Spirit of Christ? I follow, it's my heart. I, I just know what's right. Okay, the heart is deceived. No one knows how evil the heart is. You better renew your mind. Well, I'm not into all that mental stuff. I, I, that's the, the, the written Word of God is binding. It's like legalism. It's, you know, we follow the Spirit, not the written Word. Well, that's a great, great quote out of context. So you're, follow, you're not following any rules. I'm following the Spirit. Okay, you're, you're not following any rule. Now, you can follow the Spirit, but the Spirit had better be coming through the Word. If you're just born again and I'm following the Spirit, you're running your race with no rules. You have no training. You're running aimlessly. You're going to we add up your rewards. Zero. You did not even make it to the track. You were on the bus. You had the team uniform. You're in the team photo. But you never showed up for practice. You didn't follow the rules. You didn't train for anything. And you ran your whole life aimlessly, following culture, following your emotions, following the Spirit, and you're going to end up with zero. Now, yes, you're a Christian. You're born again. You're in the kingdom of God. And this is, he's not telling these people they're going to lose their salvation. He's telling them, I just gave you an example from Abel all the way up through the beginning of the New Testament of people who had faith and they executed what God wanted them to execute. Now it's your turn. You're surrounded by a group of witnesses that have ran the race. They finished the race. They've gone on to their reward. Now it's your turn. You're going to have to do these things. Run in such a way as you're going to win the race. Set aside the weights, the distractions. Get rid of the sin that's rebellion against the race itself. And he's going to say, and he didn't get to the whole thing. Keep your eye on Jesus. Who's all, now here, it's going to say it, and I've got to quit. Who also has ran the race. And for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Meaning, his race was to go to the cross. And he 
had joy in eternity, if it's talking about that joy, or he had joy of this life, he, he dismissed the joy, and I'm going to the cross. Scorning the cross, scorning the, 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 the embarrassment of the cross, the public shame of the cross, meaning that the idea there is scorning, it's like, didn't even consider it. It's like, but you're going to be publicly humiliated. That's nothing. No, not, for what I'm, what, not for where I'm going. That, that don't mean anything. So he was a classic example. He had the joy of eternity. He left that. Had the joy he could have had the world. Satan offered it to him. Don't need that. And for the joy, again, we got to talk about that because the word is anti. I've got it in a square right here. Anti, anti. It means, it means uh, two things. I've got it written down. I want to read it. It means instead of, where is that at? Fix your eyes on. I don't even see it here. A one towards the top. I still oh there it is okay point three right joy set before there's right there was not just his joy but the joy made available to believers that's one idea there for the joy set before him is literally in view of the joy set before him and the word is anti in view of is anti and anti can mean instead of or in place of like the antichrist and so this would mean jesus accepted the cross instead of the joy you can have joy of eternity or the cross instead of joy of eternity i'll take the cross instead of joy of the sinful culture i'll take the cross whichever whatever that joy is at or it can mean also and this is just what the greek words mean for the sake of anti can also be translated for the sake of anti means for the sake of which would mean jesus went to the cross for the joy for the sake of the joy that would come to him for having completed the mission uh, to his followers because now it's available to you which is available would be in time and also in eternity and we got some verses we'll look at next week in john because we have joy today because of what christ did but we have joy for eternity. So it can mean either one of those things. Instead of the joy of eternity or the joy of the culture, he went to the cross. Or for the sake of the joy in eternity and today, for himself and believers, he went to the cross. So there's that word. It's like, how is that word being used? Both are uh, both fit. Uh, so anyway, Jesus, again, the whole point I'm closing up, not starting another whole subject. I was trying to bring it in like a nice smooth closing right here. But Jesus is also an example of someone who came and ran a race after all these others. He ran the race, and he himself had to go to the cross, and he threw away the weights. He went through the training, avoided the sin, and accomplished his goal, and now he's seated in heaven. He's now received his reward for having... Now, he, he was the Son of God, but he is seated at the right hand of God as the Messiah, not because he's the Son of God, because he was eternally the son of god he is the son of god. he's now seated as the messiah because he went to the cross endured the shame and was resurrected and ascended to that place that was prophesied he had to run his race does that make sense to you i mean it's, he's he's not going to fail but he was always eternally the son of god but he had to become a man run his race so that he could become the messiah now potentially i mean if you get into theology potentials uh he could have sided with Satan in the wilderness. 
And then, then, then it's like, now what would have happened? I mean, now there's now where it's over. But Adam failed. And other times God had plans and they failed. Potentially, Jesus had it. We'll talk about that in Mark tomorrow night. Oh, no class tomorrow night, next week. But uh, Jesus had it, went out and faced Satan, overcame him and began the conflict and went on to become the son of God. So he threw, uh, set aside the weights and the sin and overcame. Okay, I'll pray and we'll pick this up next week. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would uh, apply them to our lives, that we ourselves would recognize the race you've set before us, both in the general sense of being a faithful Christian, but also specifically to our own lives, that we would set aside the weights, set aside the sin, and run the race that's set before us, and we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we may again achieve what you've called us to do for the sake of the kingdom, but also for the sake of our eternal glory. Again, Father, we do thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time.